Father, please would you help us this afternoon as we have heard what you have to say. And please would you help us to keep hearing what you have to say to each of us. And that we would worship you and enjoy you because of it. Amen. What is the worship like at Town Church? I wonder if you've been asked that question. I have. Likely the person was asking something along the lines of what is the music group like or what is the song what are the songs like? Is there a drum kit? Is there a band? Um, is the music loud? What is the worship like at Town Church? But we saw last week that the answer to that question, what is the worship like at Town Church? Well, it's like the walk to work. It's like sitting at the swimming pool waiting for children. It's like going for a run. It's like cooking dinner. It's like changing a nappy in the middle of the night. It's like doing your job. It's like cleaning the kitchen surfaces. Because worship itself is a far broader thing that encompasses everywhere we are, every day of the week, everything we do with everyone we know. Worship is our whole self. What I'd love you to do, just for one minute, is to write down on a piece of paper, or your little booklet, or a phone, three to five things that you plan to do tomorrow. That would really help me, and I hope you, for the next 20 minutes or so. Write down three to five things that you plan or hope to do uh, tomorrow. They can be big things, they can be small things, they can be things that you're really looking forward to, or just things that have to get done. Three to five things that you're going to do tomorrow. Good. Well, do you remember the helpful question Lance raised last week? Is God more pleased with me when I do this or this? Point two or point four, point one or point five? And, and maybe this week, as you've mulled over what we heard last week, it's been really exciting to go and do things and see and think there... I can worship God. That, that maybe listening to a Christian song is no more or less worship than unblocking the drain can be. This changes everything. I was sat in the new coffee shop on the industrial estate by Lidl this week and I just peered over diagonally to a lady sat reading the book COVID-19, the Great Reset. It took me by surprise a little bit because I think COVID has kind of lost its way in my stream of consciousness for the last month or two. 
But, but certainly for a few years, COVID seemed to change everything. It changed how we made decisions. It changed how we felt. It changed how we worked. It changed how we gathered as a church for some time. For some people, certainly, almost every decision was shaped by COVID. And you see, the first 11 chapters of Romans, it changes everything. The response to truly grasping the message of the gospel, it changes everything. And Paul says the response is to offer our entirety in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies. Well, maybe the question that's remained this week, is you've thought about that, let that permeate through your week and thought about the different things you do. Maybe the question has been, well, how do I worship with all that I am? What does that actually mean? What does that look like? With those five things I've written down. If last week we saw what true worship is, today we'll see how true worship shapes how we think of ourselves and then how we think of others. So first, it changes how we think of ourselves. Do you remember back to Romans 1? If you're here, it was a while back now. Paul talks about how we think. The sad story is that this world is not neutral toward God. Truth is suppressed. People squash down what they know and see of God. There's a present judgment in which God gives them over. Their thinking becomes futile, depraved. Our thinking goes wrong and then so does our action. That is the picture that Paul paints in Romans 1 of self-worship. So at the heart of the issue that is raised is the question, who do you worship? Who do you elevate? Who do you seek to enjoy? I don't know if you've um, recently been in the position where you're giving someone advice when they're nervous about going to a good thing. Think of a friend about to go and play in a big sports fixture. Or a child nervous about going to a big birthday party. Or a sibling playing a part in a friend's wedding. What do you say? Go and enjoy yourself. Go and enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself. And it's subtle. And I'm sure that's not what we mean most of the time. We mean enjoy your friends. Enjoy your teammates. We mean enjoy the experience. Enjoy the moments. Enjoy the drama, the occasion. But deep down, what are we tempted to default to? Enjoy how those friends make you feel about yourself. Enjoy how this occasion will make you look. Enjoy what you can get out of that thing. 
Enjoy yourself. Enjoy how you can find your worth in that situation. That's the danger. And you see, when that's your view of how you find joy, it's crippling. Because that is an inflated view of self. I wonder, as you think about the things that you go to, the things that you do, do you seek to enjoy yourself or enjoy God? Are you self-seeking or God-seeking? And they can look very similar. They can have similar goals. You can be ambitious, committed, relaxed, generous, with both self-seeking or God-seeking intentions. But the question is, as you look at your life, as you ask the diagnostic question of what worship is, do you think of yourself more highly than you ought? Do you do those things so that you might find your identity in them? Or are you being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that more and more you might recognise with sober judgement? I can't satisfy my own desire. If I try and worship myself in work, in parenting, in exercise, in cleaning, in drinking, in relationships, I will never ever be satisfied. It will always leave me feeling empty. Because it's a fundamentally flawed view of self. It's worth saying that sometimes an over-concentration of self will lead to pride. Trying to make myself look good. Trying to attract attention, trying to achieve, but sometimes it will lead to despair. You see, an over-concentration of self is at the heart of some of those issues of, of hatred of self. Because we're not designed to satisfy ourselves. We're not designed to be satisfied by ourselves. To try to do that is to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. You see, I stress the point clearly. So Paul's saying it's, found, it's a foundational building block of a transformed mind that we see in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that Paul says, verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Do not Think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't try and be God. Don't try and exchange the truth of God for a lie. Don't try and worship and serve created things rather than the creator. And look, just have a look back at those five things you wrote down. Maybe it means as you do those things you've written down, as I clean the kitchen surfaces, change a nappy, fill the car up with diesel, I might not be actively thinking about God, about how I do that thing in a way that honours God, how I do it to worship God all the time in my complete stream of consciousness. 
I don't have to be actively engaged in God-centred thinking in every moment of that activity. I might even do it with a similar intention, just to do it really well. But fundamentally, as you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, you won't do it with the ultimate purpose to seek self-worship. You can't. Let's say I'm called into a team in the kitchen. As it stands on reflection, I think I offer two things brilliantly to a kitchen team. Uh, The one is cleaning the work surfaces. Two is chopping vegetables. I mean, I can do other bits of it, but I think I would offer brilliantly in those two areas. In my desire if it were, to fundamentally to be glorifying God rather than self-glorifying. And I'm called into a team with, say, four other people, and it's our task to deliver meals brilliantly. It won't matter to me if there's another excellent vegetable chopper, and I, and I don't take up that role. It won't matter. Even if that is an ever so slightly more glamorous job than cleaning the work surfaces. Because I can keep work surfaces clean happily for the sake of bringing God glory within that team. I'll happily do it. Do you see Paul's flow as he walks through this chapter? It begins with a view of self, but so quickly it begins to flow into what it looks like for the gathered people of God. We should see this most clearly in the life of the church. I think that's what we see Paul doing through chapter 12. Look at verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. What's the instruction as you look down the list? What are the people called to do? Do it diligently. Do it cheerfully. I look around the room. And God in his grace has made us different. I couldn't lead the singing as Pete leads the singing this afternoon. I couldn't lead Crash in quite the same way as I see Em leading Crash now. I couldn't welcome a lady coming through the door in, in quite the same way as another lady of town church. I couldn't. I couldn't look at the church van in quite the same way as Vinny's practical hands. And you might look around the room and think, I can't do that like them. And that's good. We benefit from different gifts. And if it's our ultimate purpose not to seek self, If we think of ourselves with sober judgment, that won't matter. It will be a joy. Because those gifts aren't given for you to enjoy you. They're given for you to enjoy God. God is kind in giving us what we will most enjoy, a desire to worship him. And the danger we've seen through Romans is we take those gifts and we think of ourselves more highly than we ought. 
we subtly make them about us. I can't clean surfaces. That's not my gift. I am the vegetable cutter. I can't do setup. That's not my gift. I'm a junior church leader. I don't do filling the car up with diesel. That's not my gift. I'm the dinner cooker. And you see just subtly, ever so subtly, the gift becomes our identity. It becomes identity defining because what we care about is ourselves. You see, worship is recognising that God's gifts are given for his people to enjoy him. Not just skills, like really tuneful singing, but every gift. The gift of time and capacity. And so that will be clearly evident as God's people are gathered together as the local church. As we recognise that God's gifts are for his people to enjoy him together. So maybe the helpful question for us is, are you using those gifts? God has given you every gift, big and small. Do you use it for God's glory? Do you enjoy him everywhere you are of every day of the week? Everything you do with everyone you know, do you seek to use the gifts God has given you for his glory? Maybe... You listen to that and think, oh, I'm not sure sure this does describe what I'm like. Well, the amazing truth is, if you come to trust in Jesus, you are being transformed to be like this. You will experience that kind of transformation. Worship involves being transformed. What kind of transformation? Well, it's the adjustment of our thinking. Our mind is renewed and so our actions flow out. It's the the transformation of our very being. This is your spiritual act of worship. If you hear something like that, if you hear that and say and think, that's what I want to be. This is what I want. That is what you're being transformed into. We'll just have a look down at verse 9 to 21. It's just a brilliant picture of what this will look like in practice. Naturally, when people don't have an overinflated view of themselves, true worship will result in loving others. True worship will result in loving others. I've kind of blocked it off into three sections. There's sincere love, verse 9 and 10. Just read with me. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Do you see, it must be sincere. To be sincere means to be free from pretense or deceit, proceeding from genuine conviction. You see, 
When Christians' minds are transformed not to first consider their own glory, then their behaviour changes. Sincere love isn't self-seeking. Sincere love is the opposite to flattery. Flattery is excessive and insincere praise, given especially to further one's own interests. But sincere love, sincere love isn't self-interested. It's interested, do you see what it is? In hating evil and clinging to what is good. Flattery, it's compromising. It covers up evil, it's agreeable, and maybe it seems harmless. When a man makes fun of someone else at church with harsh comments to his friends, he thinks he's a loser, or he's super serious, whatever it is. That friend will speak up with sincere love when it's hard to say. It's not kind to make jokes like that when underlying those jokes is a a serious feeling. I think you should make an effort to speak to him. That's sincere love. When a wife complains about her husband to another member of the church... That woman won't stand by, smile and agree and then go off talking about it. She'll, with sincere love, say, I can see you're upset, but that doesn't honour your husband and you must go and speak to him for your sake. Sincere love doesn't stand and watch. It doesn't nod along and it doesn't stir the pot when something needs to be addressed in love. Sincere love speaks up. If you want a sincere relationship of love, you will hate what is evil, cling to what is good, and be devoted to one another in love. We at Town Church will be ready and willing to have difficult conversations that really show that we have a sincere love for one another. There's sincere love, and then there's practical love, verse 13. If sincere love is most concerned with what is good and right and true, then practical love is most concerned with what's needed and necessary. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Are you aware people in this church are struggling financially? Are you aware people in this church are struggling with ill health? Are you aware there's people in this church that are lonely? I am continually encouraged. As I look around, I see the people of town church doing things, taking things, being places, bringing, making, sending. It's needed and it's necessary and it's practical love. See the picture Paul gives us, verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. It's knowing the lives and the needs of other people. Then there's selfless love, verse 14 to 16. Selfless love is not most interested in reciprocation. 
Do you see, just have a look down at the unequal nature of selfless love. It doesn't just copy. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Verse 17, don't repay evil for evil. Verse 19, don't take revenge. Do you see, it doesn't just copy backwards and forwards because it's pretty easy to love people who love you back. It's pretty easy to give to people who give back. Because there's a bit of self-interest there, isn't there? If I do that now, it will probably benefit me in the long run. When you peel back the layers, it can be quite embarrassing. If I'm extra kind to that person, well, they'll want to spend more time with me. If I give that to that person, well, I, I might get one of their one of those at some point. But here, if you're the kind of person inclined to keep a record, here's the place to be reckless with selfless love. Do you see, when the starting place of Romans 12, when the fundamental building block that Paul gives in verse 3 is of a transformed mind to not think of yourself more highly than you ought, When you are being transformed to eliminate self-elevating behaviour, the people of the church become radically different. When that is who we are as God's people, the church gathered becomes a radically different community where God is elevated It's when that transforming work is apparent. Those three things you wrote down become things in which you enjoy God. It's when that transforming work is apparent, being part of town church becomes something which helps you to enjoy God. Becomes something that helps others to enjoy God. Because it's him that's elevated And he is worshipped. And that will be us. As people who have trusted in Jesus, that is what we're being transformed into. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that in your kindness... You are transforming us. Father, please would you go on transforming us. Through your word and by your spirit, making us more and more like the Lord Jesus. Please would you help us not to elevate ourselves, not to seek self-worship like we once did very normally. Please help us to seek to worship you and elevate you. And so enjoy you. Amen. Good, well we're going to... um